Welcome back to the Cock and Ball Pod, where you look at all things first and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. And don't forget, you can follow our Facebook page uh, or on Twitter at Cock and Ball underscore pod, or you can email us. Yes, I've got to write it down this time. Cock and Ball Pod at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. They might even like it as well. I'm Tom, a.k.a. Fenn. Uh, I'm the master of the N17 fishing fleet this evening. Uh, with me tonight is an able seaman championing British fish for British mouths, but smuggling some back to Italy on the sly. It's Ash. <laughs> Good evening, chaps. And joining him is a podcasting urchin, usually carping on about a load of pollocks. It's Jules. Good evening, mate. How are we? Very well, thank you. Uh, and finally, it's our resident non-Spurs fan dictating what little fishies go to market it's Jim evening gentlemen yes we'll be trying to see a little challenge for you all how many fish puns can you fit into a podcast (laughs) keep your friends close but you and enemies closer um we took on our local rivals Fulham uh, in a late fixture change in midweek uh it's safe to say Ash that we weren't exactly hooked by the result (laughs) I'm not sorry (laughs) that was so bad (laughs) no no it was bad it was bad um i don't want to spend too much time going into that tactics and all that because if our one listener wants to hear about that they can listen to 18 of our last 20 episodes (laughs) it's uh it's a repeating theme that's going through over and over again if you're gonna sit back every every team in the prem has the has the capacity to either conjure a moment of magic or score from a set piece or you know luck might just fall their way so um, it's time to tip the scales, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it, Fen? It was interesting to see sort of Sanchez and Dyer as a centre-back partnership being pulled apart like a pastrami naan at a curry night. It was um, <laughs> the goal in particular that, that, that Fulham scored was, uh, well, it was good for them, but terrible, terrible defending for us. Uh, just seeing Sanchez just wandering about, even Aurier was slightly to blame. As a team, you can't defend like that. And you're not going to hold on to one that leads if you play like that. Brett Wilkins Tins on Facebook asked if Dyer was the real problem at the back because the last two goals we conceded, he felt that um, they're, they're in Dyer's positions. What was the solution to that, Jules? Stop the cross. Um, I don't think Dyer is a, a bad header of the ball. He's a big lad. He's got a good leap. I actually think the Fulham one, Caviero, rises like a salmon. It's glorious yeah. Yeah, in that respect. Brilliant. Um, Not a fish pun. <laughs> but, I've got a really, really bad feeling about this pod. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I personally, I, I don't really blame Dyer as much. I understand that, you know, there's been a few goals now conceded from that that air of the pitch in the air. Uh, but I think we keep on allowing people in behind the right, um, behind the right of our defence and sort of dinking it back. And I think that's, as a centre-half, that's a very difficult position to be in. You know, th- they shouldn't be crossing the ball from that air of the pitch, in my view. Can we also say, though, like, well, I'm sure we'll come on to great goals in the Sheffield United part of the discussion. Bit of credit to Fulham because, yeah, all right, you can do better with most of the goals you can see, but that is an outstanding cross and a superb header. And sometimes you just have to go, yeah, fair enough, good goal. I mean, yeah, cool, yeah, stop the cross, obviously. But it's not like it's a a really, really poor goal to concede because they executed it brilliantly. So, I don't know, there's, there's been a lot of disappointment about the Fulham game but Fulham like we mentioned last week aren't the same side that started the season they're in a very good form relative to their league position since the Spurs game 
they've put in another great performance against Chelsea, and all right, they, they lost, but narrowly. And lots of good sides are going to drop points to them. So I wouldn't be on a massive downer about it, I don't think. Yeah, I think we're still in amongst it. Um, whether we're quite out of this title race yet, who knows? But at the start of the season, were we interested in the title race? No, not at all. I want yeah. that League Cup, that juicy, juicy League Cup and the years ending in one. There were plenty more positives, I thought, to take from that game. There's a lot of doom yeah. and gloom that's gone on about it. Yeah. And I think it's slightly unjust. As good as uh, Lukman's cross was for their goal, uh, the cross from Reggion for, for our goal was absolutely sublime. And obviously, you never doubt Kane to to miss from those opportunities. There was a chance before that where Tango and Dombele, who I'm sure we'll discuss later, created a cracking chance for Sun. Uh, we didn't think that cross would be better than Reggion just turned up and reminded us of what we all did. I mean, it's an absolute bargain for 30 million. Uh, I thought Winks actually had a quite a good game as well himself. It's good to see him getting back into the squad somewhat, despite disappearing at the weekend. Uh, but I don't know if there are any more positives out there for you, Ash. No, not really. Listen, we we can say the goal is, is good, all we want. But ultimately, if we were going to let the opposition have that much of the ball, and um, we're going to concede possession that easily. And we're not going to take the few chances we have. The goal is going to come at one point. If it might not be, it might not have been the full game, but it would be another game down the line. We can't keep playing like that. You kind of uh, it feels like you almost end up having this conversation after, if not every game, then every week, every couple of games. But if you're going to play this way, and we know that Spurs are, because that's the way that Jose sets his teams up, and he's not going to change. This one, I just felt like. It wasn't egregious. It wasn't like Spurs played really, really well and unjustly dropped points. Fulham put in a performance that deserved something out of the game. So I think though, I think though that that happens because Tottenham don't. Uh, Tottenham allow other teams to play their football. Basically. Well, quite. But that. But what I'm saying is that's going to keep happening. And, so and and, and Ash will continue well, to be irate. Sometimes you drop points, and you may as well say, hold your hands up and say, fair enough. That was because the opposition played well, rather than some kind of freak accident or VAR decision or something. Speaking of Jose, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm in the Jose out club. I just wish somebody else was our manager and not him. Um, okay. Having <laughs> having a manager like Jose is a bit like dating the girl that everybody used to fancy back in school, except she's <laughs> just living on an old reputation and not quite, not quite getting you excited in the same way. I thought we were quite wasteful as well. I think that's probably my biggest frustration with, with games like this is that there are so many attacking transitions where we look absolutely bang on to break up the other end of the pitch and it's just a little bit of quality lacking. Unfortunately, in these sorts of games, I think Sissoko is our common culprit. We talk about him enough. Uh, sometimes it's Aurier, but in Aurier's defence, he's quite often aggressively pressed. Like Robertson was up him pretty aggressively, as uh, I mentioned with Fuchs against Leicester weeks ago. Uh, which makes it difficult for Aurier. And what makes it harder for Aurier is that his best option is quite often Sissoko, which uh, you might as well not have an option at all. But at least there's a Hoybier there uh, gluing everything together. You know, he's like a traffic warden. And he, he just uh, pops up. We don't expect him. And before you know it, I haven't got a parking permit. Uh, bang, that's a £65 fine in the next 14 <laughs> days. So, so there, there are some silver linings, just to remind us that, that we do have some quality there. That said... The quality was certainly shown. We had some sort of reaction when we uh, went up to Bramwell Lane uh, the weekend uh, in a 3-1 win. A bit of squeaky bum time, like the good old days, but there was a change of system. Three centre-backs. I don't know what you make of that change, Jules. I wasn't too confident going 
into the game once the team lineups were announced. I agree with you in that it, it's not my preferred system, but I think what it did do was push the inside forwards kind of closer to Kane and, and give us kind of more cohesion there. It allowed us to push on our, our wing backs and Reggion, you know, as you say, is such a great, great player. You want him uh, bombing up and down the flank like that. Um, and it also gives a weird kind of freedom of the pitch role uh, to Ndombele. Because Hoiberg just does the simple things in front of a in front of a back three, and and Dombele just went wherever the hell he wanted, which is really <laughs> hard to deal with if you're the opposition because he's so good at football. <laughs> it's, it's like trying to hurt a leopard. <laughs> Honestly, that's a great that's a great analogy. But I, we all can see not just the goal, but everything he was doing in that game. His his ability, his class on the ball is is so apparent. Um, but the thing which most impressed me after. Uh, the match was that I saw he had covered the most ground and had the highest average mm. speed on the pitch. Yeah, he was brilliant. And uh, three four three or five two three or however you want to look at it, it suits a lot of players in our team. Like Aurier and Nocati, uh, Reggie, it's great for Son. That's them to get closer to Kane, like you said. And same with Bergwijn. Even Bale, Vinicius, and Mora, if they were up to speed, it would suit them too because they can have the players around them have less of the tracking back work to do. And I absolutely loved Ndombele in that um, slightly deeper role. My only concern is that I, there's no doubt in my mind that Jose Mourinho does not play him there if it, we have four at the back. It's because he had the freedom of allowing a centre-back to step forward uh, out of that defensive line to, to meet the headers and to pick up at, you know, the, the late runners, etc. And he doesn't have to rely on, uh, rely on Ndombele. But yeah, he ran the show. He's, he's a class above, an absolute class above. What did you make of um, of Rodon? I thought he was interesting. He brought back some feelings that I had that I never thought I'd have again. When <laughs> back when we had Asa Wakato, <laughs> literally, whenever he got the ball, he releases the ball so late that my ass was clenched for so long in that game. But um, he got yeah. clattered about three times as well. Yeah. Like, so he's he's because he's a little bit slow letting that pass go. That's and Sheffield Sheffield are the kind of team that's like, oh. <laughs> Well, I'm going to hit you half a second late. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Jim, um, as a player who's come from, uh, you know, the championship, you know, p- perhaps there's like a technical step up, which we just need to be a bit patient with. You know, maybe he's just not used to the that kind of pace um, in terms of how quickly he's got to set himself and release the ball. Do you think that will get better or do you think that's that's just kind of his technical level? Well, the honest answer is I don't know, but... My sense is that you wouldn't you wouldn't make the purchase if you didn't think there wasn't room for improvement. Uh, I suppose it, ge- it it goes to the argument of does playing a, around and among better players make you a better player yourself? Mm. Uh, yes, it probably does, uh, and it certainly you may well find that some of his rough edges not only will he be able to kind of smooth them off, but when he does make technical errors, they probably mm. don't cost as much. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's a bit of an impossible question, I suppose, because, you know, he may well already be at his peak technically, but my sense is probably not, no. The only thing I thought of him in terms of his ability on the ball, um, going back to Fenn's kind of a motto for the show, he loves the channel almost as much, almost as, much as the uh, you know, the British fleet does. Like He just loves clipping that ball over the opposition left-back, doesn't he? Um, did that so many times. Yeah, he certainly earned his place. Surprisingly quick as well, I'll, I'll give him that. Um, there was a couple. There was one moment where he went over on his ankle, and I just thought, you can't get up from that. 
he ran it off. <laughs> so he's uh, he's got some guts, and I quite admire that. Something that um, you talked about, Sheffield's lack of midfield, and I think we got a bit lucky in that respect. It's always nice when the opposition doesn't bubble with a midfield. Um, and that's what I don't like about the lineup before we even kicked a ball, is that I thought against a better team in that area of the park, you will get overrun. And I feel like Josie almost threw on an extra centre-back there seems to be a bit of confusion and I don't know, Jules, you, you probably play football the most out of all of us here. If you suddenly change a system like that, does it take you a little bit of time to get your, your head around it? Or at professional level, do you expect them to be fully aware of where to be? It definitely takes time to get your head around it. And that will be even more, more so uh, difficult to kind of adjust to in a year like this, because the fixture congestion is mad. You haven't had a pre-season so your tactical shape is is less good. The kind of cohesion is struggling. Um, and yeah, it makes a huge difference. You know, in a, in a back four system, that cross from, if you think of where it came from in kind of the deep left position, that's probably the right winger closing down there. But in this system, you're pushing, you're telling a fullback who's used to tucking in that he's got to go press because there's actually an extra centre-back. There's, there's two or three knock-ons. And that slight bit of hesitancy in, in how you press and how you have defensive defensive shape um, absolutely suffers when you switch between systems. Uh, Tom, Aurier scoring from a, in, in a corner. <laughs> what was that all about? Yeah, I mean, that was potentially the biggest shock of the game in terms of goal scoring, <laughs> is Aurier <laughs> turning up uh, and Son actually coming up with some sort of good delivery. I've never really seen him as that sort of player the whole time he's been here. He's never really taken that role on. We're so used to Ericsson just kicking out of the first man's shins and just hoping he does his ACL and no one stands there anymore. Um, Come home, Christian. Come home. (laughs) (laughs) The second goal, which I actually think will be forgotten in history because it was a really good goal, but it's just one of those goals where, unfortunately, it just happens. There's always a bigger fish common theme in this podcast. There was always a better goal, and it just so happened to come in the second half. But, uh, yeah, I thought Kane's finish was absolutely sublime. Yeah, it was. And also, I mean, the amount of power behind it was what was so impressive about it, I thought, as well as the technique. But uh, it's another one of just to flip around what we were talking about, losing possession before. It's Sheffield United doing exactly that. They'll really be kicking themselves about how poorly uh, they turned over possession just before it. But it takes a a great vision and a great bit of technical ability. So... um, yeah, I agree. You, you, you kind of forget it because of what happened after. It's a bit, it's a bit like you know, a second Godfather, isn't it? He's just like, Marlon, got to go over this one. Kane <laughs> also scores so many goals uh, of so many different styles that you kind of they all blur a bit together. You just assume he's going to get a ridiculous output, um, but. He, he does have that ability, despite being a great penalty box striker, he can shoot from outside the box. You know, he's, he's got kind of the full array of talent and it, it's such an asset uh, to have in a team for us. You, you get you get the feeling that it was just so easy. He knew the moment it left his foot, it was going in. He knew what it was going to do as soon as he picked up the ball. And he's, yeah, he's, he is caviar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Not to, he's caviar, but not to take anything away from the goal, but... Let's be honest, Ramsdale is absolute crayfish, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Anagram of carp. Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, there's not a lot he can do about the last one, but the second one, 
He just stood there looking a bit gormless, and you're like, yep, yeah, mate. You so so in this game, what you do is <laughs> those two metal posts with the, with the one that joins them. You you have to stop the things from going into there. I, I don't know what's happened to him because I used to think he was okay, and he's absolutely pony. He's genuinely terrible. He's lost all, all confidence. Um, he was making awful decisions the whole time. There was a moment where I thought we might get a pen from Son because he sort of came, <clears> tried to catch it, didn't catch it, and then when Son ran towards the ball, just pushed him over. And I was like, well, <laughs> he looks a little bit nervy to me. I thought Kane's positioning was quite interesting in that game. It's almost like he sat in a kind of 10 role and it allowed Bergvine and Son to push on, which is is great. But going back to my point about midfields, in that formation, I'd like a cohesive midfield triangle with someone who is a bit more of a traditional midfielder at, at the tip of it. Um, questions come in from Hako6 uh, 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 on Twitter. He says, Kane needs to stop playing as a number 10. How do we get a proper one who will create chances and assists? Obviously, the, the real answer to that question is to go out and buy one. Um, but in terms of playing Kane in the best position, I'd, I'd much prefer him to be running onto those balls. So he's he's in the penalty area, not just when the ball's coming from the middle of the pitch, but when the ball's coming in from out wide. I don't know about you, Jules, but where can you see his, his best position in that sort of formation if it were to happen again? I think his best position is as high up the pitch as possible. I completely agree with you that he's he is at his most threatening for us as a team when he's in and around the box and he's getting goals. Um, I think we haven't really nailed on uh, a 10 for a while because Daddy's not really a traditional 10. He's a sort of weird sort of player who runs off from that area but is, doesn't link the play. Have you not seen enough in the Chelsea? I know he's had these injury problems at the moment and he was a bellend over Christmas, but have you not seen enough of him? <laughs> to think that he can fulfil that role. If we can get Ndombele deeper and have Le Chelsea in there as well, I think between the two of them, we've got enough creativity and that would allow Kane to be a little bit further forward. Yeah, and speaking of the number 10 position and trying to fill that void, Stubbs underscore A on Twitter has asked whether he thinks we'll ever see Deli or Aldevarri play for Spurs consistently again. What are your thoughts on that? There's something David Martin said on Facebook as well, isn't it? He, he, he asked the same question. Why isn't Toby playing anymore? Do you, not think really sure. could, do you not think it could be easing him back from injury? We, you know, he's he came back. He, he had that that strain. I think it was a groin strain at the time. Um, we've got a lot of games coming. Um, maybe not a bad time to sort of pace him back in with uh, big fixtures towards the end of the season. That's, that's what I think is happening. Yeah. Yeah. He's he. I mean, he's the wrong side of thirty in terms of being able to play a game every two days. We need to manage the team. And there's not a better manager out there who who can manage players and and their minutes and their fitness. I think that's all it boils down to. Come on, let's talk about it. Um, what Kane can do, obviously, turns out, and Dombello can maybe do better. If you were the uh, the cynical Jose approach to Deli Alley, you'd argue that Dombello's goal was a and Dombello's goal was a silly flick that lost his possession. <laughs> maybe Deli Alley would have missed that, but. That is one of the best goals I've seen Spurs score quite a while. Don't know what you thought, Jim, as a neutral to appreciate that as a goal. Yeah, I was just, uh, I was a, a bit kind of stunned, really. I was like, how, what? 
You know, when one of you, I think, said that the XG for that goal was 0.06. And I, I saw that and it, I, at first I thought, yeah. And then I thought, actually, 6%, that seems strangely high to me. <laughs> that suggests that if you did that 100 times again, another, or 99 times again, another five times it would go in. I just don't think so. Um, it's just an extraordinary bit of skill. And I, I saw the uh, the kind of usual candidates going, oh, yeah, well, he didn't mean it. It was a it was a pumping a ball into the box that went wrong. Who cares? Right. He probably <laughs> probably didn't mean it. I couldn't give a toss. Right. It's just an extraordinary goal. Um, and uh, and those they're, they're the kind of like moments of magic and inspiration that you watch the game for aren't they and that sort of thing if um if schools were still a thing and uh, <laughs> and kids could be in playgrounds having fun um you'd have a load of all over north london trying to do the same thing this morning wouldn't you yeah bit of magic one of the lovely things with tongi is that if i was yeah 11 12 again i would 100 percent be getting a spur shirt with tongi and Dombele on the back i absolutely would like he mm. he he makes and me go but the the other person i want to give a shout out to this goal um the scoop from bergvine who had who had sort of an understated game but he just showed exactly why he's valuable taking the ball in the half turn picking up uh sort of great pockets of space Um, and that scoop from him to set it up is a really difficult one to get right a couple of other silver linings from that game i thought um we seem to be playing it in a much more aggressive way there's been a lot said particularly from Jim actually that that Jose is set in his ways and but then Jose's come out and said well actually this isn't how I told him to play Kane come out uh, after the game and said yeah Jose's right that isn't what we're told to do is sit back uh it was sort of put to us by uh, Dylan at Spurs underscore Dylan on Twitter do you think Mourinho may think about playing more attacking tactics for similar games like this understand being defensive against the top teams where we can be a brilliant attacking team when taking off the handbrake. I quite like that analogy of the handbrake. I think it's the best way to describe it. I'm happy to part a bus against Liverpool, don't get me wrong. They're champions for the reason, but we need to be breaking down teams that we know we deserve purely based on the quality of the players to have more possession and therefore should be more likely to win a game, if that makes sense. I don't know if you agree with that, Ash. Yeah, well, I think there's a key differentiation that we have to make. What we see as attacking and what Jose Mourinho sees as attacking football are two very different things. <laughs> so <laughs> growing up growing up with the glory of Tottenham um, sitting mid-table but having a lot of the ball, we think having fast-flowing attacking football and having the ball and trying to shift the defence from left and right, we, we see that as attacking football. Dominating the ball means dominating the game. But for Jose Mourinho, it's about who's creating the better chances. So we may we may concede 65% possession, but if we're creating the better chances and if we're attacking with speed, then to him he sees that as, as an attacking style of football. So I can't see us ever going to try and dominate possession, but I can see us attacking teams with more aggression and trying to play through the lines with a lot more speed. Yeah. Uh, on the basis of uh, of um, twenty years of his managerial career, I think we're pretty safe to say he's not suddenly going to become Jurgen Klopp, is he? Um, mm. But I, I was thinking earlier. I wonder how much you can read into the Sheffield United game. I'm not sure. Spurs were massively ruthless against Sheffield United. 
but you can only beat what's in front of you and it he's obviously a, a very good coach so yeah I think compare him and compare what Spurs did against Sheffield United to what Newcastle did against Sheffield United where they set out for a nil-nil and got a nil-one which was criminal um <laughs> There's <laughs> there's obviously that bit, you know. There's the there's the ability there in the sense of, okay, yeah, we can be a little, have a bit more freedom in this game, and it'll be all right. So, also something that went under the radar, um, Hoybier was a yellow card from a suspension in that game, which I never knew, and I'm absolutely stunned that he has gotten through a game of football without getting booked. And if, I think that's an incentive to play possession football because if you're in possession, Hoybier can't get suspended. They've extended the transfer window as well, haven't they? I'm looking at Jim because he's a journalist. But, I think And therefore so. the news. But. I think so, yeah, but I'm not certain. I did want to mention transfers very briefly, actually. I, I was um, listening to something the other day about football and Brexit and how, particularly with younger players, it's going to be very, very complicated to sign players from certain countries now. And one of the ones that came up I just thought was interesting as, as a transfer that would, if it happened this month, be in doubt was Reguillon. Each player needs 15 points to get a work permit and those points are accrued through various different things like the club you play for, how many minutes you play, etc, etc. And there's like a buffer zone between 10 and 15 points where the player doesn't have enough but it can go to an exemptions panel and the exemptions panel makes the decision on whether the transfer can go ahead. Uh, It's like real life football manager. Um, And Reguillon (laughs) (laughs) Reguillon would be one of those that would be in that buffer zone because he wouldn't quite reach 15. Well, hopefully it means that Chelsea don't, like the likes of Chelsea don't start just hoarding all the players in European football. Because <laughs> how many well, careers have they killed? And, you know, just, just because they bought someone to, so no one else would. There's, a, there's an arrangement called the Common Travel Area between the UK and Ireland, which means that Irish citizens can come and live in the UK, can vote in the UK don't need a visa, don't need a work permit, anything like that. It's essentially freedom <laughs> of movement. My dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's essentially freedom of movement that predates the European Union. That's still in place. So what you might start to see is English clubs investing in Irish clubs, Irish clubs signing young players from Europe and then becoming Irish citizens, which would then give them the right to come to the UK under the common travel area. Do you, uh, do you want a bit of stats fun? Yes. I, I say fun. Um, <laughs> I was reading something earlier about how, uh, from the Liverpool-United game, how uh, United's form this season is basically the reverse of last season because now they're pummeling the poor teams but not doing great against the best teams in the league. And that's that's what the opposite of what they were doing last year. So I had a look at Spurs' record last season and no real surprise against the bottom six teams, the record was very good. 2.08 points per game. The middle seven, uh, 1.64 points per game. And the top seven, which is obviously six, because it includes Spurs, 0.92. So basically flat-track bullies last season could beat the poorer teams, not really the better teams. This year, if we carry on on the same trajectory for the rest of the season, Spurs are on course to get an extra 11 points in the last year, five of which would come from from the games against the likes of Leeds, Palace, Wolves, Villa, that are uh, in the middle of the table. But can you tell me the two teams that Spurs did the double over last season? 
Oh. Did we do double on Bournemouth? Please tell me we did. No. Oh my god. Norwich kept doing us, didn't they? They did us in the cup as well. Um It's not Palace, it's Is it Arsenal? No. No. I don't think it's Man United. Or nope. it's not City. No. How are we not getting this? It was literally last year. They even elongated <laughs> the season so we could remember. <laughs> they were both Everton. in the No, both teams were in the bottom reaches of the table, shall we? West Ham. West Ham, 2-0 oh, at home, 3-2 yeah. away. That was Jose's first game. Who else plays football? <laughs> I've forgotten all the other. Well, Newcastle. Another team in Claret and Blue. No, lost to Newcastle at home. Burnley. Burnley. Not Burnley. Villa? Villa. Shit on the Villa. Yes. Um, first game of the season and then the last yeah. minute of Bengals yeah. just shattered. Yes. Interestingly, the only other teams where the result was the same twice was two defeats against Liverpool. 1-0 at home, 2-1 away. Two defeats against Chelsea, 2-0 at home, 3-1 away. And two draws against Watford, 1-1 and 0-0. <laughs> and we still finish fifth. I don't believe it. Uh, the only side, actually, Spurs didn't lose against in the top seven was City, funnily enough. Have we become City's bogey team? And if so, how on earth did that happen? Is it just because of the old VAR controversy? I think it's before that. It's remember when they got taken over and they were knocking on the door of the Champions League, but because they just bought everyone, funnily enough, it just wasn't quite working because there was no team cohesion. And I think they still had Mark Hughes. Um, <laughs> and there was that famous that famous goal where Crouch scored and he got us into the top four and David Bentley put a bucket of water over Harry Redknapp. Ha, 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 great time. But I think it stems from that. <laughs> and that, that kind of era, because obviously before that, City, were, there were no one. Uh, we'd be more than likely to turn them over. But I think since then, I feel like that game was actually what sort of instigated some sort of voodoo curse. block. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. But um, oh, Long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. So for the first time in living memory, I can only think, is uh, we've got a break midweek, which is nice for us. We only have to preview one game. I didn't know this. The fixtures changed. It's Monday night, so it's Monday the 25th. Yeah, anyway, for BT Sport. Yeah, the bastards. We've got well, Liverpool. It's also, yeah, we've got Liverpool on Thursday on the 28th. It also gives Wickham probably an extra day to train because they've had their COVID outbreak, so they're not able to train at the moment. Yeah, that's a bit of a surprise. I think it's a little bit of a kick in the teeth, considering you know we want to have a bit of a break running into that Liverpool game. It's one of the biggest games of the season. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of rotation. I think the most reason it changed was for TV, but also I understand that the game is on the 10th day of which Wickham are supposed to have been isolating at home. So I'm not sure. I can't remember if that means they're coming out on that day or if they're still supposed to be isolating. But yeah, we've got, I think we've, we're going to see quite a bit of rotation. I think we'll still see Connor, uh, Kane and Son playing. But those are the two kind of players that the more minutes you get, generally, the more output you get from them. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. It gives an opportunity yeah. for the likes of... Um maybe Gareth Bale to get a game as well and get a start. Uh, again, another question from uh, from the stands on Twitter. How is Gareth Bale going to be integrated at Spurs? Will he be involved in our larger plans to win silverware? Who knows? But he could make that cutting-edge fourth-round draw against Wickham. Uh, <laughs> it's something Jib has probably spoken about the most. Is uh, Obviously, we've got our lily-white glasses on and all we can see is 
this Bale is a legend and, and Jim was going, well, I, I, hang on lads, he could be shy. Um, <laughs> and so far he hasn't lived up to expectation. But, you know, do yeah. games like this give him a, an in to the team or is it just a bit of a one-season uh, wonder in his second spell? Yeah, I'd probably, I think he probably will be a one-season wonder, but I'd expect him to play. I guess Bale's problem is he doesn't, he's not match fit and he's not really getting the opportunity to become much fit because he's not getting enough game time. It's difficult to see where he's going to get it consistently enough for that to change because who comes out of the team to replace him, really? And where even is his best position? I'm not sure I know. But yeah, I'd expect him to play against Wickham, who, uh, you know, fair play to Wickham. They're, at, <laughs> they're in the championship, which is mad for, for Wickham. Yeah. And, yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're giving it a good go. Um, they're competitive, which I guess is what they feared they might not be because it's such a step up for them. But it's, it shouldn't be, there should be no problems at all for Spurs. So uh, I think the thing about the game being a game a, a day later doesn't really matter that much because I'd, I'd expect there to be, like Ash said, a lot of rotation. The time Tottenham last played Wickham, it was back in the FA Cup in January 2017. And there was a late goal from Son that won it. 90 plus what, Tom? Can you guess? I should know because I'm pretty sure I was there. I think it's 97. It was yeah. 97th minute. No, and we yeah. scored we scored in the 89th through Deli Alley to equalise before that. It was looking it was looking pretty dire before. Oh, like daylight so. robbery. They'll be up for it. But we yeah, like Jim says, we should be beating the yeah. team of that quality. Like they are more focused on trying to survive the championship, which Okay, realistically, they might not be able to do, but it's one of those where you think, will they go for it? Because they're probably going to get relegated anyway. So let's just go for a cup run. Or what are they? Mm. Are a bit more conservative because they want to survive in the championship. Who knows? Um, yeah. bit, uh, bit of a shout out for Gareth Ainsworth, their manager, because he's been there for quite a while now and he's such a uh, character. Yeah. But just, just comes across, he does quite a lot of radio in interviews and what have you and just comes across as a, a thoroughly decent guy that's also a bit of a good laugh so um, I'm surprised uh, he ever actually retired because he played football forever didn't he <laughs> yeah I think he's about he's about 64 in his three years into management or something but <laughs> he's probably a player manager we don't even know he might name himself on the bench you never know right then Tom give us a score I uh, they, they they scare me because I think they'll be buoyed from their, their last uh, cup appearance against us I'm worried that it might end up being some sort of score draw. We'll go out on penalties, so that's what we're going to go with. Two all. That's depressing, Jim. Yeah, three uh, 0 Yeah, I think we'll struggle to break them down. We're not the most creative team, so I still think we'll win two 0 though. Hopefully, with a bail goal. <laughs> and uh, if anybody hasn't noticed at this point, Jules couldn't be asked with the rest of this podcast. So if you've been <laughs> listening thus far, well done. Yeah, all tweet Jules saying stupid Jules. Yeah, just a, a quick, quick fire puns. If anyone can think of any, uh, this might be one to throw out to our listener uh, who might want to tweet in. If, you, if we could build a Spurs 11 using fish puns, I don't know if it could be done. Off the top of my head, I struggled. I got as far as Darren Underplankton. <laughs> but if anyone's got any better fish puns for. Spurs players and former Spurs players let us know anyway thanks for listening to the pod that is the final fish pun we'll see you next time